we are so thankful for each and every one of you as we are wrapping up a teaching series that we've been in called I Am. And I Am is really a series designed for us to hear what Jesus had to say about himself throughout the Gospel of John and these self-describing statements. And so we've heard all kinds of statements that Jesus made, things like I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. And then last week we heard I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so today we're going to continue in this series and we're going to wrap it up today and we're going to be in John 15. So I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there. We'll get there in just a minute. But one of the things that you're going to hear today as we get to this passage is you're going to hear Jesus talk a lot about fruit. He's going to talk a lot about fruit. So here's a question for you this morning as we begin our time. What's your favorite fruit? What's your favorite fruit? Go ahead, just say it out. Watermelon, strawberry, mango, pineapples. How many grapes? Who likes grapes out there? Anybody? Okay, I I see some grapes out there. Okay. All right, all right. And so there's all kinds of things about fruit that we enjoy. I've, I've heard it referred to as nature's candy. Fruit is nature's candy, right? Because it's, it's got that sweetness to it. Uh, there's, there's also this colorfulness to the fruit as well. And so as we think about fruit and what's your favorite fruit, here's another question for you. How does fruit grow? How does fruit grow? How does it go about becoming what it becomes? It doesn't just happen, right? There's a process, There's a process that takes place in order for the fruit to grow. There's seed that's sown, and not only is the seed sown, but there's also sunlight that comes in, and not only is there sunlight, there's water that comes there as well, and eventually, over time, fruit comes. Fruit comes. It doesn't just happen automatically, though. Again, there's quite a process that goes into seeing fruit become what it is that we enjoy. And so as we think about this idea of fruit, and as we're going to hear what Jesus has to say in just a few moments, I want to remind us what we've said throughout this series is this, that Jesus wants to awaken us to the more we are created for. He wants to awaken us to the more that we are created for. So turn to your neighbor and just say, Jesus wants to awaken you to the more that you are created for. Go ahead and tell your neighbor that, all right? Tell them that. And if you want to have a lot of fun with them this morning, you can just say, wake up, all right? Wake up, right? This is what Jesus wants to do for us this morning. He wants us to wake up. And so as we begin our time thinking through what it is that we're going to see today, I want to give you this question. How do we grow good fruit? In our lives. How do we grow good fruit in our lives? Because again, Jesus is going to talk about this. And in that culture, fruit was very natural and normalized as far as how people would grow it. It was an agricultural society. And so they would be very familiar with some of the things that Jesus is talking about. They would pass places where there's vineyards and there's grapes growing. They would know a lot about what it is that he's talking about. But he uses this to help them and to help us to understand the process of what it is that God wants to do in our own lives as well. And so today, I just want to invite you to consider again, not only how do we grow good fruit in our lives, but to examine in your own life, is the process that Jesus lays out, is it our process? Is it the way in which we're approaching it? 
And if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're glad you're here and you're just checking this Jesus thing out. But I want you to even hear the deep work that he wants to do in your own life as well. Because this is a process. This is an invitation to each and every one of us. So as we look at what he says, again, we're going to start here in John 15. Let's not lose sight of that question. Again, how do we grow good fruit in our lives? And this is Jesus speaking in the Gospel of John here. He says, I am the true vine. Say that with me. I am the true vine. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I am the true vine. In other words, I am the source of life. It's me. It's me. I am the true vine. And he says, and my father is the gardener. And this is a beautiful imagery that Jesus is laying out for us because he's saying he's the source of the life, but the father, his heavenly father, our heavenly father, he does the gardening. He tends to us. He cares for us. Just like he does in another way of of life in the sense of gardening and that imagery that he's giving here, right? Just as a gardener would do that, so our Heavenly Father does that. And and I love this picture too because it reminds us of how the, the work of God through God the Son and God the Father is working together, but then God the Spirit's at work within us as well. And we know in Galatians 5, there's this language of fruit of the Spirit, right? There's this fruit of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. This is what the Apostle Paul would say. And this is the type of fruit that's meant to come to bear. And then it goes on to say this in verse 2. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more, what's the word here? It will be more fruitful, even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, I want want us to hear these words that Jesus is saying here, because I think at first glance when we hear a word like he cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit, we almost get the sense that he's done away with us. He's putting us away. And there is a part of this that we do need to examine in our lives. If there's no fruit, have we really truly begun a relationship with God? Have we become followers of Jesus? Have we put our trust and our faith in him? But this language that he uses has even more to unpack than what it looks at like at first glance. And Dr. Tony Evans, he was talking about this and he talks about the idea of what it is that he cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. And I want you to to hear what he says here. And this is, again, from the Dr. Tony Evans Study Bible, which is really an incredible Bible. I love Dr. Tony Evans. He's the first African-American to write a study Bible. So it's awesome. I love it. I often reference it. But listen to what he says here. He says, the Greek verb translated removes in this verse can also be rendered, takes away, or lifts up. The branches in a vineyard could become heavy and drag on the ground easily. So God the gardener takes them away from the ground by lifting them up. God will therefore seek to make you more fruitful by lifting you up, encouraging and motivating. For example, through his word and people. And I just love this language. He wants to lift, up, lift up the things that are dragging down in our lives. 
So as we consider what it is that's being said here, I want to give you a couple of thoughts this morning based off what we looked at. First is that the vine and the gardener caused the garden to grow. Jesus being the true vine, he says, I am the true vine. And so the vine and the gardener caused the garden to grow. We don't want to lose sight of the source. We don't want to lose sight of the power source. And recently, my wife and I had a, uh, what we call intense fellowship about something. And, and here, here's, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. I would, I would go into the bathroom that we share, by the way. We, we have a, a shared bathroom, which should not surprise you. She has a sink. I have a sink. It's great. It's great. But I would go in, and I would put my phone on the charger. There's like one of those charging stations. It's really great, right? It's to charge the phone. That's incredible. It's a good gift. And then I would come back. I would come back a couple hours later, grab my phone, and my phone's not charged. And I don't know if this is a subtle hint that Amy's like, hey, you're on your phone too much or whatever, you know? I don't know if she's just trying to be a little passive-aggressive and say, I don't want your phone charged. But what was happening is she was using the outlets to get our hair done and get our hair ready. Hair drying, you know, curling it, straightening it. But then she would forget to plug in the charger. She would forget to plug in the charging station. And therefore, my phone wouldn't be charged. And even though it was on the station, the power wasn't going through it. The power wasn't working through it. It was where it should be, but again, it wasn't plugged back in. Since this time, we have had a conversation. We both have worked it out. She now has made a change, and now she's plugging it back in. And, and I noticed she's even using it. So good job, Amy, right? Good job, Amy. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. In our own lives, we've got to make sure we don't lose sight of the source, especially when we read something like this, because Jesus is making it clear that he is the source. And there's something that he wants to do in our lives. There's something that he wants to do within us to cause the fruit to grow. Again, he's the source. He's the, the life that we're attaching ourselves to that allows the fruit to come. But he does say a couple things, again, about where we need to be lifted up or where there needs to be pruning. So as we think about that, where in your life do you want Jesus to lift up? Where right now are there branches on the ground and causing the fruit of your life not to be what they should be? Is there discouragement? Is there distraction? What, what is it in, in your life right now that's causing you to feel downcast maybe? And it's okay to be sad, but what is it that's maybe hindering you from having those branches lifted up and you need him to show up? Maybe it's something you're walking through right now. It's a very challenging and difficult time. Maybe there's a set of circumstances that you're in Maybe it's about relationships or financial strain. Where do you need him to lift up? Where is it that those branches are hanging down and you're just needing his touch? You need him to lift it up because Jesus is the one who wants to lift it up. He wants to lift up our lives so that we can bear the fruit that we are intended to bear. Because in case you didn't know, each and every one of us we're designed on purpose and for purpose. And Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians 2 that we're saved by grace. That's verses two, 8 and 9 from chapter 2 of Ephesians. But then in verse 10, he says, we're his workmanship created anew in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. 
He has good works for each and every one of us. And so he wants to lift up these areas. And maybe these areas are due to some decisions or choices that we've made. But he's a God that comes so close to us and so tenderly to us. Because to lift up branches, you would have to be very careful not to kill the fruit that was on the tree, on the branches. So you have to be very careful. And Jesus is so careful. He's so careful. When he lifts us up, even when it hurts, he's not lifting us up just to harm us by any means. That's not what his desire is, and that's not the outcome of it. But that hurt is to produce more life within us. So where in your life, again, do you need Jesus to lift up? I want you to be identifying these areas right now. And here's the next question for you. Where in your life is Jesus pruning? Because oftentimes, when the, the branches were lifted up and, and also the pruning part of it, the, they were pruned for the purpose of making sure disease didn't get in, making sure that light could get to the fruit and the branches, right? Making sure that the right fruit, fruit could come and that more fruit could come as well. And so oftentimes in our lives, there's things that we look at and they have a hold of us maybe, and Jesus is trying to prune them away for our benefit, even when it doesn't feel like it's for our benefit. And maybe there's something that's going really, really well. Maybe there's something that is going really well in your life, and you're seeing a lot of good things come from it. Oftentimes, pruning comes in those seasons because he wants you to bear more fruit and different fruit. He doesn't want the past fruit to get in the way of the future fruit that he's trying to bear in your life. But that's hard. That's hard. But when he does this, again, it's his love and kindness towards us. He cares deeply for us. Again, he's the source of how we are able to withstand being lifted up and having the pruning in our lives. He wants us to know he's right there with us. Again, he's the true vine. He makes it really clear. He says, I am the true vine. And as we continue on here, I want us to not miss what Jesus said. He says, you're clean because of my word that I've spoken to you. And see, we are clean because of the word and work of Christ that has cleansed us. So this is not about us trying to earn something. This is not about performing. This is not about, hey, if I did enough good, all of a sudden I have a right standing with God. No, it's because of what Jesus has done for us through the word that he spoke to us and the word that took on flesh and endured what he endured for our sake, that we have cleansing from his, by his word and by the work of Christ. And so I want you to hear that today because this is the gasoline that allows the engine of the car to go. This is the response to the Christ that we are lifting up on high. We have the cross right over here on this side of the room. And there's a lot of different reasons why we have it there, mainly because we don't have enough room on this stage. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. The cross of Christ reminds us of what he has done for you and for me. The cross of Christ reminds me that not only did he hang on the cross and it is finished, but he defeated sin and death when he rose from the dead three days later. In response to what he has done, we hold on to him. That's what it means to remain in him, to abide in him, to walk with him faithfully. To say to Jesus, I want you and you are welcome here in this place, in my life. Every area I give you access to because of what it is you have done for 
me. This is good news for us, friends. This is good news that causes great joy for us as we consider what it is that he's done for us. And I don't want you to miss out of what he's saying. Because at the backdrop of this, he's always reminding us that he's the power source behind it. But that we are called to bear fruit. And that leads us to what he continues on to say here in John 15, 4 through 5. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Let's, let's read that together on three. One, two, three. Remain in me as I also remain in you. So we're to remain in him as he is remaining in us. And to remain in him is a choice. It's a decision. It's a deciding. Because as John Tyson says very clearly, Jesus comes where he's wanted and welcomed. He shows up in those places where he's invited. He's the perfect gentleman. He's right here. He doesn't let go of us. He doesn't let go of us. But his activity within our lives requires us to partner with him. To say, I want to remain in you, Jesus, as you are remaining in me. And he says this, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, Jesus is giving this imagery for us. He's saying, I'm the vine. You are the branches. This he's talking to his disciples. And again, this is towards the end of his time here on earth before he's going to be crucified. So these words are very vital and important to understand what it is that he had for them and what he has for us. And he doesn't want us to miss this because apart from him, we cannot produce the fruit. Again, he says very clearly, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And as we think about that fruit, as we consider what that looks like, that fruit really looks like being a people who have a deep hunger and a love for God and the things of God. It means joining God and seeing things made new as the way they were intended. It's to seek to bring heaven down to earth in those areas where there's ache, pain, and brokenness. We want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of that in the relationships that we have with one another and with the community that God has brought us into and the places that he sends us out to. And one of the things that I've been noticing of late, and maybe you've heard of this, but there are these awakenings happening all throughout college campuses as we speak. All kinds of college campuses. One's in Asbury, right? It's, it's, Asbury College is experiencing that in Kentucky. It's this small town, Kentucky. And, and people are just hungering. These students are hungering. Gen Z is hungering for the things of God. Then there's Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. Another spiritual awakening is happening there. People are hungering. These, this generation is hungering for the things of God. Then I hear at Auburn University, it's happening there. It's not limited to what we call Christian institutions, but rather these colleges and these college students are saying, we are desperate for God and we want him to work in our time. And we're open. We're open to his activity. And here's what's beautiful to watch happen. When I was listening to people describe 
what happened with Asbury College. They would describe it as God showed up through this speaker who just led that day, and he felt like his message bombed at chapel. He told his wife, he's like, that was a terrible message. It was not good. It was not good. And if you're a communicator, you often have those kind of messages, and you tell somebody, I didn't think that went that great. So he did that, and he said that. And then the next thing you know, days on days, people were seeking the face of God. And celebrity pastors, and celebrity pastors, by the way, are well-known pastors who have a very big platform and following. They wanted to come and speak, and they're like, no, no, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to make it about the main thing. We're going to make it about Jesus. And you know what? I believe God could do that here. I believe he could awaken not only this generation and Gen Z, I believe he could awaken the generations that are before them. But I believe he's going to use Gen Z to help do that. And I believe that the time is now. But for us to do that and to get to what Jesus is describing here, we got to listen to what he said in the book of Revelation because he says a couple things to some churches. He says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have given up on your first love, he says. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, return to me your first love. You're doing a lot of good stuff. But what Jesus said in John 15, remain in me, because apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do that without staying attached to our first love, Jesus, to give him our affections and our attention, to say every area of my life, you are wanted in, and you are welcome in. And yes, I do need you, but I want you to have access to these areas. Because he is coming near to us, and this is what we read in Revelation 3.20. It says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And this is specifically directed at a church, people who were claiming to be followers of Christ. I want you to know Jesus is daily knocking on your door, the door of your life. And he wants to do life with you. He wants to dine with you. He wants to experience anything and everything with you. He wants to experience the things like going to Costco when you don't want to be at Costco, right? And it's overwhelmed with all these people. He wants to experience what it is when you open up that spreadsheet at work and you're like, ah, this is so overwhelming. He wants to be with you when you're at school and you're getting ready for finals or exams. He wants access to anything and everything and no moment from him, no moment for him is viewed as secular. It's all sacred in his economy. He's knocking. He's knocking on the door. Will you open it? Will you open it? Will you give him access? Because if we're going to see a move of God in our lifetime, it's going to be people who return back to their first love, Jesus, and who give him access. And that love for Jesus will lead to our love for people. And this is what Paul would say In Romans 13, we've been going through this in our community group. We've been doing this thing called the New City Catechism with families. And it's been really fun. But one of the verses that it focuses on, and when it's trying to help us understand the Ten Commandments, is to remind us again of what it is Jesus came to do 
and what it is he lays out for us in the way in which we relate to God and relate to others. Listen to what Paul says here to the church in Rome, Romans 13, 8. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And so what he says is, hey, the only debt that should continue is the debt to love one another. And why do we have that debt? Well, it's ultimately in response to what Jesus did, paying our debt, right? We were spiritually poor and he made us rich. And out of that, we have this debt in response to him to love others as he has loved us. Anybody and everybody that God brings into our paths to join him in that way of life. And then it goes on to say this, it says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever, whatever, what, uh, excuse me, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so as you think about what he's saying, he's saying, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. It, it really summarizes all this. To love God and to love people, Jesus said these, this was the first commandment. This is the second one is like it. But in response to our love for God, it's going to lead to our love for people. The people that we don't agree with or, or see eye to eye with. The people here in our church that are different than us and come from a different background than us. The community that we find ourselves in, those workplaces that we find ourselves Love is to be the thing that leads us forward, but that can only happen as we stay connected to the vine. We have to receive his love to give his love. So daily, we need to be a people that are receiving his love so we can give it. We again are the branch. Um, this is me being a branch, right? This is my branch, right? I'm a being a branch in the same way, right? We're to, to receive it and to give his love. But again, I don't want you to miss this. If we don't understand his view of us, his love for us, if we don't embrace all that he says of us, that we're made in his image, here's what's going to happen. We're not going to be able to see the people around us as God sees them. Because maybe we'll have this false humility and say, oh, there's, you know, they are so much better than me. And we, we talk about them as they're better than us and I don't amount to anything. And we go through that self-talk that's harmful and is not in line with anything we've just read in the gospel of Christ. Or we walk in pride that says, I'm better than this person. Look how messed up they are. Man, I look really, really good, right? Compared to this person. But again, our standard is not somebody else. Our standard is Jesus. And he modeled the way. He mirrored it for us. He showed us what it is. And he paid a way for us to walk in his love, to be consumed and to be controlled by the love of Christ. So as we think about this, we can't bear fruit unless we faithfully remain attached to the vine. Jesus has made that really clear throughout what we've read. We can't do this unless we faithfully remain attached to him. And part of this, and I don't want you to miss this, is as we walk with him, he's going to ask us some, some stuff of us. He's going to ask us to do things. And when he asks us to do something, it's for our benefit, even when it doesn't feel like our, for our benefit. And part of bearing fruit is to say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. 
That's part of bearing fruit. Because some of us may get the idea like, okay, I'll just, I'll stay here. I'll drink my coffee. I'll read my Bible. I'm just waiting. I've got this prayer journal going. And you ask, we need faces like that. But when he speaks and he asks us to do something, he asks us to move forward with something, or he asks us to stop doing something, the answer is yes. Yes, Jesus. And I believe whenever I say yes to you, you have my best interest in mind. And not only my best interest in mind, but the best interest of others around. It's for my flourishing and for the flourishing of others that you're asking this, of asking me to do this. It's for that purpose and that end. And not only is it for that end, but it's to recognize that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to enable me to do the thing that I'm most scared to do when you ask me to do it. You have a way of showing up and giving grace even when I'm not so sure how it's going to go. And you can do it scared knowing that the Holy Spirit will always show up whenever God asks you to do something. That's been my experience. That whenever he asks me to do something and I'm unsure and I'm uncertain and I step into it, he meets me right there. And he gives me the words and he gives me the comfort and he gives me the strength. And you know what? The same is available to you through the finished work of Jesus. Again, we can't bear fruit unless we faithfully remain attached to the vine. And here's the the next part of this. What vine are you remaining in? Because we all have a, a vine right now that we're holding on to. And it may not be the true vine. You notice how sometimes vines can look like weeds. You're like, oh, this is, man, this is like the source of life. And some of us, maybe our, our vine is weed, you know, but I'm talking about literal weed, right? Like the weeds that we're holding on to, right? These things that we're building our life on. What is it that we are looking to as the source and the substance and the nurturant, nutrition to our lives, the thing that provides this vitality that we so desperately need? What vine are you remaining in? Is it a person? Is it people-pleasing? Is it a possession? What is it that you're holding on to? Because we all have something that we're holding on to. We all have something that we're looking to as the source of life. So what's your source of life? What is it that you say, hey, I'm building my life on this? It's important that we identify these things because again, Jesus He wants to remove those areas. He wants to prune that which is hindering us that is not of him. It's for, again, our benefit and the benefit of others. Well, Jesus continues on, and he says the following. He says, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And again, I want to clarify, when Jesus says these words, he's really speaking to a way of life for those who are followers of Jesus when they try to do life in their own power. Our life is like withering up. Yes, life apart from Christ is a eternity spit in hell. But I, I believe when you look at this and you study this passage, he's talking about what happens when we choose to try to do life in our own power apart from the true vine. We are like, we are like these, again, we are like these branches who wither away. And they're picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. He says this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So he wants us to bear much fruit. Again, this is, again, he says very clear, this is to my Father's glory. This is not about me, look at me. 
This is about look at him. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so when we bear fruit and we do it by remaining in Jesus, it's a declaration of not only that we are dependent on him, but that we're truly his disciples. It shows the way forward to those around us when they taste the fruit of our lives. They're encountering the source of that fruit, which is Jesus. And that's why Jesus would go on to say this. And I want us to read this out loud on three. One, two, three. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. And so Jesus is saying, hey, as the Father has loved me, as he's loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. We need to be people that remain in his love. Again, we're receiving it and giving it. He says very clearly, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So remain in my love. Now, one of the parts of this that you don't want to miss is that if we're going to stay connected to the source of life, it's partly understanding and listening and spending time with Jesus and hearing his word, reading his word. And so I want to really encourage you, if you don't have a reading plan, I'm so thankful for our writing team that's helping in the season of Lent that we're in to create ways in which you can grab a hold of some things to think about scripturally. And so they're going to release a post today that will help you this next week coming up. And I'm grateful that they're doing that and they've worked really hard on that. But the other part of what we don't want to miss is how Jesus talks about prayer. And so as we think about this, prayer provides a connection to Christ, which leads to fruit production. So I don't want you to miss what he said. Hey, when you pray, when you pray, I'm going to move and I'm going to show up and I'm going to work. Now, here's the thing about prayer that's a little tricky for some of us. We're afraid that our motives aren't right when we pray. And we're afraid to be disappointed by God to specifically ask for something. And I think we all have had those, those moments in our lives where we're like, I'm not sure it's going to do anything. But what we see scripturally is that prayer, yes, it changes us, but it does work and it does move. I have friends this morning who were praying on my behalf, on behalf of our church. And I sense God's activity and work as a result of that. But then there are ways he shows up that are not just limited to some big things. Sometimes it's simple things like my coffee maker wasn't working a couple weeks ago. And I was like, man, this is really a bummer. Because it's a really nice coffee maker. It like grinds the beans and then you press the button and it's there. And I'm like, oh, I have to settle for this coffee pot. You know, I know I sound like a coffee uh, diva right now. But it was a gift, by the way. This, this coffee maker was a gift from my, my wife for me. And I was praying about it. And I was like, Lord, I don't know what's, what's going on with the coffee maker. I kept trying to fix it. The tray wouldn't go in all the way. And, and then finally, finally, after a couple days of not being able to use it, he was like, try this. And then I tried it. I put the tray, took the tray out, and then I just put the thing in, and it ran the way it's supposed to run, and next thing you know, it works. I didn't have to ship it off to get fixed. Sometimes God shows up in those simple ways, and it's a simple thing because God shows up in those types of things, as well as God showing up in things like, I had a friend who had a health diagnosis here in the building, and she kept getting these crazy headaches. She works at the, the plastics company, and she, she came to me, and she said, hey, I don't, I'm desperate right now. Would you pray for me? 
Like, would you pray for me? This is in the summertime. And I'm like, coming to a pastor asking for prayer. Let me see. Yes, I will. I would be honored. I would be honored to pray for you. And I prayed for her. And as I was praying for her and I continued to pray for her, the headaches weren't getting better. In fact, they were getting worse. And she kept going her medical treatment. And every time she would go to a doctor, they would just really treat the symptoms but not get to the root. And so I finally was like, hey, I'm thinking about you. I emailed her. I'm thinking about you, praying for you. Hey, I came across this. And she's like, well, when you get a moment, I want you to come by my my office because I got to tell you this God miracle that happened. And so I came and and we started to talk, but she said how she got into a specialist. That Here's what's crazy thing. She called the specialist after seeing a video, and they said, we can't get you into August. And so this woman wrote a handwritten letter and sent it on, not knowing what was going to happen. And then two days later, she gets a phone call from that doctor, that specialist, that says, hey, I want to get you in. I read your letter. And so she's on this road to continued healing and getting recovery, but in the middle of it, she's acknowledging how God has shown up through people's prayers, but also how they've been supporting her in it. And so I don't want you to miss how God uses prayer. But then the other part of it, sometimes he doesn't answer the prayers the way we think he should answer the prayers. And not only is that his prerogative, but oftentimes the things that don't seem to make sense on our perspective and our finite minds. We have to not lose sight of the one who's infinite and knows best. And that doesn't mean that it's hard or difficult as we're in this process of waiting for him to show up. But I want you to know he comes near to you in that. He's still the the true vine. Even when the prayer request doesn't go the way you thought it should go or want it to go. Because often as we're praying and seeking, there's something deeper he's doing in the soil of our soul. There's something he's doing. I know that's been my experience. When I keep praying and praying and praying and praying, and he doesn't seem to be moving or hearing or working, all of a sudden I look at my soil of my soul and I realize, wow, I'm changing for the good. You're doing something deeper in me. And so I don't want you to lose sight of that as we consider prayer. Because again, prayer provides a connection to Christ, which leads to fruit production. But here's the the questions I want you to think about with me. What's your prayer life like? And what prayers have you seen answered? And for some of us, again, prayer is intimidating. I don't know about you, but sometimes we're like, what do I say? What do I do? And if you're not like a a talker by nature, you know, sometimes that can be even intimidating. You're like, I don't have a lot of words to say. And so I want to encourage you in a couple ways. One is, to leverage things that have been laid out for us scripturally. And one of those ways is to use the Psalms. The Psalms are a great way, as Tim Keller says, these are the songs of Jesus. These are the ways Jesus would pray. He would use the Psalms. And so I would encourage you to leverage the Psalms as a way of prayer, to take breaks between the different verses that are there and say, God, I'm going to make this my own prayer. I'm going to put this in my own words. Maybe you want to use the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a helpful guide. It's not the only way. We, we don't have to pray that way, but it gives us guidelines to help us. And maybe you just want to start by praying the Lord's Prayer and then to take the different pockets of what's said there and really start to speak to God from a heartfelt posture. To be honest, to be real, to be authentic. 
And not to worry about if you're doing it right or wrong, but just to do it, just to show up. Because he's knocking on the door. He just wants to have lunch with you. He wants to eat with you, right? He wants to spend time with you. Do it when you go on a walk. Sometimes many of us, we need to be active when we're doing something. Great. Maybe when you're driving. You know, I know this last week was a little busy for me, so I purposely just said, hey, I'm pretending, I'm imagining you're right here in the car with me, Jesus. I want you to take the will, but I also believe you're right here, and you want me to take the will for now, right? Like literally drive this car for everybody's safety, including my own. But I want to see him wherever I go and whatever it is that I'm doing. And in this Lenten season, I want to encourage you to intentionally to give up something, I want you to think about this, for space where you can abide or remain more closely to Jesus. So maybe for you, that's social media. Maybe for you, you're going to give up a certain food. Maybe for you, you're going to give up watching TV. Whatever it is, the giving up isn't the main objective. The giving up is what you get by giving up because you get more time with Jesus. It gives more intentional. I don't want you to miss this. And so Jesus has this for us. So I want you to think about, again, what's your prayer life like? And what prayers have you seen answered? Because as we go back through and we're reminded of the ways in which God shows up, it gives us the courage to continue. Because God is at work. God is moving. God is doing something deep within us and then through us and then around us as well. So we want to really tap into the power of prayer. And then as we think about this, I want to ask you, as we said, about growing fruit in our lives and how we do that. How are you trying to grow fruit? How are you trying to bear fruit in your own life? What is it that you're trying to do? Maybe you're not holding on to the true vine. Maybe it's your effort and your strength. I'm just going to, I'm going to just try to do it. But we're not really abiding in the source. We're not remaining in Jesus, allowing him to do this deep work within us. Maybe you're attached to something that isn't Jesus. How are you trying to do that? And are you allowing him to do this deep work within you? Because one of the ways that we come to experience who he is and what he has for us is to be people who take in things like beauty, wonder, and play. We need all three of those things. And one of the ways that we fight the trauma in life, because often we have trauma on top of trauma, top of trauma, top of trauma, is we take in those things. We take in the things that are beautiful. That's why I was talking about getting outside. It helps us with that, taking in good music. But there's a picture that I came across that is a picture of what we read. And this picture is Jesus in the middle, and I don't know if you can see it really well, but there are 12 branches. And the 12 branches represent the 12 disciples. And that Jesus is saying, hey, I am the vine, and you are the branches. I don't want you to lose sight of the source of it for our lives. The source of it for our lives, again, is Jesus. The intended way in which we're to bear fruit is to stay so close to him that he changes us from the inside out and that whenever he speaks, we follow what he has for us. We allow him to do the deep work within us. Because of what he's done for us, we can say yes and amen. And we can walk with confidence, not because of our own willpower, our own efforts, our own resume, but because the resume of Jesus has become our resume. It is ours. And by the power of the Holy Spirit and by looking at God the Father as he is our Father and we're his sons and daughters, we can step fully into 
this way of bearing fruit that is faithfully remaining in Jesus. And so as we think about this, I want to just invite us to take a moment to pray together. And as we take a moment to pray together, I want you to just examine in your life, how are you trying to bear fruit? How are you trying to to bear fruit? What is it that you're holding on to right now in your own life? Father, right now, we just want to come before you. We thank you that you're at work in our midst. Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of us. Lord, I I think it's so tempting to hear this passage and just hear the part where it says, bear much fruit. But Lord, it's really clear. You, You say, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear this fruit apart from me. You can't bear the fruit that lasts. Lord, may we be a people whose affection for you allows us to return to our first love. Lord, whatever we're holding on to that's not you, I pray we would lay it at your feet. Not that the things that we have are bad in themselves, but maybe they've become God in our own minds and hearts, Lord. And so we want to lay that stuff down at your feet. And we want to hold on to you, Jesus, which is the source of life. Lord, we thank you that you truly are the vine. And we pray, Father, that by the power of the Spirit, that we would allow ourselves to faithfully attach to you. We know we're a work in progress. This is not about perfection, but rather to bask in the perfection of Christ that allows us to continue the process of holding on to you, Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for us right now. Many of us are in a season maybe of drought, God, where the rain hasn't come. And so maybe we feel like we are withering up. I pray in that season where we're entering into a desert time, we would know we're not deserted in that time, but that you're right there with us. Lord, I pray that we would sense your presence and your power and your might. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you come near to us. And those even here today have have been praying and praying and praying, and they're going weary and tired. Will you strengthen them today, God? You You know how hard it is when we pray. And how much faith it requires of us, Lord, to give up self-reliance and to walk in dependence. You know how hard it is for us to acknowledge our weakness. And even the times where we become ones who snicker at the idea and the audacity to come to you boldly with our prayer request. Will you forgive us for that, Lord? Will you forgive us for our disbelief in your goodness and your kindness towards us and for us? And will you help us? Lord, will you strengthen our faith? Will you use men and women in this ministry at Riverbend to remind us of the Jesus way and what you call us towards and what you have for us? Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the good work that is going on here. And Lord, as I'm in this time of prayer, I also want to pray for our dear sister, Beth Ann Miller, God, as she's about to to go and serve in the Dominican Republic for nine days, Lord, and she's going to serve with kids alive and serve their team there, Lord. I want to pray as she's getting ready to go. I want to pray a covering over her, God. I want to pray a blessing over her. I want to pray your peace and your protection. And I want to pray that you would give her the words to speak and the wisdom that's needed, Lord. 
Lord, we pray that you would uphold her with your righteous right hand. And we do pray for Tom as she's away from him. Lord, I pray that you would continue just to protect their marriage, Father. And Lord, deepen their love and affection for you and for one another. And I pray as she receives, as they receive your love, that they would give your love to others, Lord. We can't wait to hear and see the good work that you do through Bethan, God. And we're grateful to intercede on her behalf. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.